today we're going to jump into the Christmas story. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can get them. You can get ready. You can get them open to Luke one. Um, that's where we're heading. And what I, what I realized this year is that I almost every Christmas sermon that I've ever heard has always started in Luke two, and that I have rarely heard a sermon, or maybe never heard a sermon on Luke one, on the beginning of the Christmas story. And uh, and so today we're gonna we're gonna explore that. We're in a series right now called uh, Jesus Out of the Box. And the idea is that we want to experience Jesus and we want to experience the birth of Jesus and we want to experience Christmas outside of the box, outside of maybe the routine or uh, tradition is a beautiful thing, but maybe outside even of the numbness of tradition. And what I mean by that is sometimes when you do something over and over and over again, you can get numb to it. You can kind of lose the feeling and the heart and the excitement and the passion, um, it, it can become kind of like, oh yeah, we're, we're familiar with that. And what I want to say this morning is we, we cannot get familiar with God becoming a man. We can't get familiar with that. That's, that's so astounding and so miraculous that it has to blow our minds. And Christmas is an opportunity for our minds to be blown every single year, right? We have this wonderful liturgical calendar this this wonderful there's these seasons that come and go where we're ushered into things spiritually and in december in advent we get to be ushered into the miracle of god becoming a man um and if you hear that sentence and that seems like a normal thing to you hopefully today we can get out of that box and 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 we can feel that again right um, so, that, so that's where we're going. We're going to Luke 1. So go ahead and go there. But first, I just, I want to see who's in the room. A little poll about Christmas. Um, how many of you are Christmas enthusiasts? Like you love Christmas. You love the holidays. You love to shop. You love to get gifts for other people. You've been thinking all year long. That's awesome. I love you guys. I am nothing like you. I'm nothing like you. Um, so now I need to find my people. How many of you relate with the Grinch that stole Christmas. Like you start sprouting green fur. The moment like Christmas music comes on, like you're just like, like you just start snarling on the inside. I saw a couple of hands raised. Um, man, God, God bless you. It was all men. I did not see one woman raised. It was all of us. Lauren, you, yes, thank you. I just, um, Yes, thank you, ma'am. I see that hand I, right there. God bless you. Listen, I, I just, I, I want to, I come from a family where I have, there's a number of, of people in our family who are wonderful at Christmas. I had a grandmother who was the Christmas queen. She knew how to get the perfect gift for every single one of her children and every single one of her grandchildren. She made Christmas like the most magical experience ever. She passed a couple years ago and, uh, and she just left this legacy of generosity and kindness and would make you feel known and loved in Christmas. And I was always baffled by that. Uh, my, my sister got that wonderful anointing. I think it passed down to her. She is like the ultimate gift giver. Um, I wrapped my presents in t-shirts growing up. Like I was so lazy that I wouldn't even get out paper to put them in. I took them, they were bad presents to begin with. And then I wrapped them in my old t-shirts. And I taped them and I put them under the tree, right? Like that's how bad I am at Christmas. 
and uh, I don't know I, I struggle like I, I just I fall into maybe the Grinch category uh, I go to Target during December and there's all these demon possessed moms fighting over toys do you know what I'm talking about? You walk in and they're like drooling at the mouth, trying to like get to, and I walk in there, I'm like, no way, I'm out of here. I'm hiding until January. Like, so there, so I, I struggle a little bit. Luckily, Anna is like the Cindy Luhu to my Grinch. Like she is like this sweet, wonderful, godly woman who like loves Jesus and loves the holidays. And my heart has been growing over the past nine years that we've been married. So Praise God, I'm coming to love, I'm coming to love Christmas. Um, I'm getting more and more excited over the years, but I'm, I'm still not quite there yet. Um, but one thing that I did love about Christmas, I told you about my grandma, uh, every year we would get together on Christmas morning with the extended family. And uh, we have some believers in our family, we have some unbelievers in our family. There, there's some that, that really love and enjoy Christmas, and there's maybe somewhere. The Christ part of Christmas isn't so exciting for them. But every year, my, my grandma would ask one of the grandkids to read the Christmas story. And, uh, and it, was, it was something sacred. I don't know if you have something like this in your family, but it was just a holy moment where everyone would get quiet and multiple generations would come into the same room. And she would pick one grandkid who would, was going to read the Christmas story. And she would always lean back in her little chair. And whichever grandkid was reading the Christmas story, her eyes would well up with tears. And there was just this joy in getting to rally her family around the story of Jesus. And I remember I never, I never watched the person who was reading the story. I only watched grandma. I always just watched her face and watched her eyes and watched how much joy she took in the Christmas story. And, uh, and I stared at that every year as a kid and it marked me. It just... It just like deeply marked me that this story is beautiful and that this story is to be treasured. This story should bring tears to our eyes and it should fill us with wonder. And I want to feel towards the story the way that I saw her feel about it. What I saw in her face, I want in my heart. Does that make sense? And, uh, and so I wanna try to share that with you guys this morning. So can I pray that over us and they'll get started? So Lord, I thank you for my friends in this room, for our community. And Lord, I ask uh, that you would fill us with joy and wonder and excitement today as we dive into this story again. Lord, I'm asking that we would see things that we've never seen before, that we'd learn things that we've never learned before. God, that our hearts would be moved afresh. And Lord, I'm praying for all the Grinches in the room, the people like me who maybe struggle to get excited for Christmas, um, even those who might be experiencing sorrow during the Christmas season. Um, Lord, I'm asking, God, that, that the story of Jesus to them would be glad tidings of great joy. Glad tidings of great joy. That you would put a smile on their face today, not because of circumstances, but because of Jesus. That he would be our ultimate joy. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so you can get out your Bibles. I'm going to be reading from the ESV today. We're going to spend uh, basically the entire time in the Word. We're, we're just going to go through it. Um, and I'm going to read the story, and then I might tell you a few things about it. And I'm just hoping that we'll feel it together today. You guys okay with that? Um, and then it, it should be up on the screen as well as I go. Thank you, media people, for, for going through such a long passage. But let's go to Luke 1, verse 5. 
And this is where the story begins. And what's interesting is that the, some of you might not know this, is that the, the story does not begin with Joseph and Mary, even though that's where most of the movies begin. Um, and the story doesn't even begin with Jesus. Again, though that's the focus and that's gonna be the culmination, um, the story actually begins with a couple named uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth. And uh, they're going to give birth to a son who ends up being really important in the story of Jesus. And this was the, the first Christmas miracle. Uh, this is how God began his story. And so let's start here together. Luke 1, 5. It says, in the days of Herod. And just so you know who this is, this is Herod the Great. He was the king of Judea. So he was the king of Israel. And uh, Herod reigned from uh, a couple decades leading up to 4 BC was when he died. And so this is sometime in the days of Herod, maybe a year or two before the end of his reign. So it says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, or Abijah, depending on how you pronounce it. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So this is where Luke begins his story. He begins with this elderly couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. They are both from a line of priests, and priests were those that had the privilege of ministering to the people, specifically in the temple. Um, and this was a really special role to have. And you only got to do this if you were from one particular tribe. Some of you will know this, that you had to come from the tribe of Levi, which was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they had been set apart, consecrated by God to be the ones who would do ministry. And this is telling us that both Zechariah and Elizabeth came from that line that descended from Levi. So that's a big deal. They're Levites, they're really important. They were the ministers. But it's not just that. It specifically says that they came from the line of Aaron. And if you know anything about this, Aaron was raised up as the first high priest. And his descendants were the only people who were allowed to minister directly in the immediate courts of the temple. They were the only ones who could be the high priests. They were the only ones who could go into the temple. And they were the only ones who were allowed to do the functions that were right outside of the temple. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, but if the Levites were special, then those who came from Aaron were extra special. They had this unique privilege that they got to live before God and minister exclusively to God. And this was their job. This was their role. They didn't get to do anything else. They didn't get a section of the land. Um, they, 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 had to, they had to come in and they got to minister. And so that's, that's what this couple has, is all about. And they're older. So this is what they've been doing their entire life. They've been living for God. They've been ministering before God. Zechariah has been serving as a priest. He's been doing it for many, many, many years. And, and here's the way that it works. It talks about his division. 
There were 24 different divisions of priests that came from Aaron. Going to get a little detailed here because it's important. And these 24 different divisions, they would serve in the temple on like week-long duties, essentially. Not all of them lived in Jerusalem. In fact, many of them lived outside of Jerusalem. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth lived in a town in Judea. We're going to see that later. But what they would do is twice a year, you would get called on duty. And you'd have to leave your home, your town, your village, wherever it is that you were with your you know, wife and kids. And you would come to Jerusalem and you would spend a week ministering in the temple. Okay? That happened twice per year. And you can imagine uh, that Zechariah has been doing this probably ever since he was 30 and commissioned as a priest. So now he's an older man. We don't know how old he was. But year after year after year after year, twice per year, he's come with his division and he's served in the temple. And so any time that they got to come to the temple, it would be special, right? They weren't serving in their local town or city. This is them like getting called to the capital. It's getting them called to like the, the most holy place. And there would be this sense of excitement about it. So that's who Zechariah is. His wife comes from the same line. And, uh, and here's what Luke wants you to know about them. He says, and they were both righteous before God. This is a specific phrase that's used for specific people in the Bible. It was used to refer to Abraham and Sarah, who were righteous. It was used to refer to Noah, who was righteous. It was used to refer to different people on the Old Testament who lived in right relationship with God. It says that they were walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. And then here's where Luke is going to start to introduce some of the drama of the story. Okay, so these are the characters that he wants you to know about. And now he's going to introduce some, some conflict, some tension, some drama to make this a good story. And the drama is this, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. This should be giving you really strong Abraham and Sarah vibes. Is anyone getting that? If you know your Bible, this should be like, wait a second. I know of an elderly couple that was righteous but they were barren and they were living in that tension. Okay, well, this is who we have before us, reminding us of Abraham and Sarah. And, uh, you know, back in this time, people assumed that if you had something that was bad that was happening in your life, that the reason that that bad thing was happening in your life is because you had done something wrong. It was kind of a formula, right? Like, are you sick? Well, you did something wrong. You sinned. You're, you're probably cursed by God. That's why you're sick. Are you crippled? Are you injured? Are you a leper? Are you barren? If you're in any of those conditions, well, it's because you are not favored by God. You are not blessed by God. You're probably cursed by God. And it's probably your fault. You did something wrong. You did something bad. And you have every reason to be ashamed of your condition because you're the one at fault. Do you guys think that kind of thinking still exists in our world sometimes? Yeah, that, that'll preach, right? And so Luke is drawing you into this couple's narrative and, and you can feel the tension. But what Luke wants you to know, Luke is attacking that. He says, no, they were righteous. They were blameless in the commandments, right? They had followed the statutes of the Lord but they had no child 
because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. That verse alone should deal a death blow to any thinking that the righteous don't suffer. The righteous do suffer. The righteous do suffer. And sometimes the righteous experience pain and perplexity and confusion and have unanswered questions and loss. And what this verse is showing you was it wasn't because of anything that they did. Just want to put that out in the room this morning for anyone who might need that word. Let's continue in the story. It says, Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. Now this might seem like a simple verse, but what I want you to understand about this is, like I said, there was 24 different divisions. And they would only come to the temple twice per year. And so in his years of ministry, he's only done this a select number of times. And when they would come, they would cast lots, I mean, kind of like rolling dice, to decide who would get to actually go into the temple. Some of you might not know this, but there was this holy building where they would go to worship. And what's interesting about this holy building is that nobody would go inside. Can you imagine if every time we came to worship and pray, all of us stood outside of the building? Like, what if your entire life, your entire life, you had only ever stood outside of this building and we worshiped outside and we prayed outside and we took our tithes and offerings outside. In every single service, we would roll dice for who would get to come inside. Can you imagine like the mystery that would surround that? Like everyone would drive past this building like, what is in there? Right? And imagine that when you got to come inside, you never got to come into the sanctuary. Only the high priest could come into the sanctuary one time per year. Okay? You would only get to come into the atrium. And so um, imagine how just mysterious this was. And here's the deal. Uh, one scholar said that there were so many priests that they had a rule that you could only be selected by lot one time in your life. You only got to go in one time in your entire priestly ministry. And, and so when we read this verse, this is, this is Zechariah's like, this is one shot. He has been waiting his entire life, his entire career for this moment. And here's what's interesting to me is that all of these years when the lots were cast, Zechariah didn't get picked. Like every time they rolled the dice, it was never Zechariah. Do you think Luke is trying to get us to feel something in the heart of this couple? Every time someone got pregnant, you know who it wasn't? It wasn't Elizabeth. She went to baby shower after baby shower after baby shower, but it was never her baby shower. And that was painful. And Zechariah went to the temple week after week after week, year after year after year. But guess what? It was never his turn either. Elizabeth was the woman not chosen. Zechariah was the man not chosen. 
the ones who could easily feel tempted to say, we've been passed by. Maybe God forgot about us. Maybe favor and blessing is for everyone else, but not for us. We're the forgotten ones. We're the passed by ones. And now they're in old age and they're probably thinking, well, we're too old. We just missed it. Man, this is a good story. I hope you'll latch onto it. And so this is John. John finally gets his shot. Oh, sorry, Zechariah. Zechariah finally gets his shot. He gets chosen. They're like, Zechariah, it's your turn. And you can imagine Zechariah steps out of the group of priests. And you have to climb upstairs to get to the temple. And you come up to these huge doors. Zechariah, oh. this is like the Super Bowl for a priest. Right? This is making it to the World Cup. Come on, Morocco. Right? Like, this is, this is his moment. And he, and he pushes open the doors. And he walks in. It would have been dark in there. There was a candle. It was the only thing. It would have been, kind, to be honest, it would have been kind of spooky. I was thinking about this. And I was like, man, going in the temple is spooky. There's all these laws that are like, hey, if you mess up in there, you'll die. So just, so just don't, don't fumble the ball, bud, you know, or you'll be struck dead. So, so he's going in there. I'm sure that he's like, hands are shaking, knees are shaking, but he's been waiting his entire life to come into the presence of God. I can't imagine what it felt like when he came in. Like I, I just imagine it was like coming into a cloud of glory. He felt the presence of God. He's trembling all over. He's going forward to offer his incense. And what you might know is there was, the first section was called the holy place. And the next section was called the most holy place. Priests could go into the holy place, but only the high priest could go into the most holy place. And to separate the two was a, a massive curtain. And in front of the curtain, there was an altar. And on that altar, all day long and all night long, they would burn incense that represented the worship and prayer of the people. Night and day, 24-7, worship and prayer, always ascending before the Lord from the people. And he gets to go be a part of this. And to his right would have been a table that had bread on it. To his left would have been a candle that burned perpetually before the Lord, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. You can imagine him walking in. And as he goes to offer his incense, what the priest would do is, is they would offer a prayer. They would, they would stand before the curtain and they would worship and they would pray and they would offer their incense. And then that was it. They would, they would leave. But not for, not for Zechariah. <laughs> He's about to get spooked, right? He's, I want you to picture this. He's, he's already in a super spooky place. It's dark. There's only candlelight. This has horror film vibes, right? And he's about to get jump scared. So here we go. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So they had two times per day, a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice where they would come to offer their worship and prayer. And people from the community would come to the temple to do this. It was like their you know, daily worship and prayer meeting. So they're outside doing their thing. Verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. 
So this bro is already probably scared out of his mind to be in the presence of God. And an angel jump scares him. Ah, Standing in front of him is an angel. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. And fear fell upon him. Um, that's, That's how you... I would have screamed like a little girl if an angel had appeared in front of me when I was already in the holy place. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Verse 13. And the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. I love this next verse. For your prayer has been heard. And uh, the, the, the word for your prayer, it's not, it's not general or generic. It's not your prayers have been heard. It means a specific request that he's been asking over and over and over again has been heard. The tense that that end means you've been praying this prayer for years. You've been praying this prayer for years and you never lost hope and you never lost faith and you never quit and you're in your old age and you didn't even know you might have died and not seen the promise. And there's people who did die and not see the promise. In that Hebrews 11, there's many who died in faith having never attained. But the angel comes to him and says, Zechariah, do not be afraid for your prayer has been heard. And of course, it raises the question, well, what was his prayer? What was his specific request? And we know it, right? It was, God, give me a child. God, give us a child. Give us a son. He would have wanted someone to carry on his name and his lineage, to carry on the priesthood. God, give me a son, please. Your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. I don't know if you know what John means in Hebrew. It means this, God favors you. You've been told all your life that you were not favored. You've been told all your life that you were not the one that was chosen. You've been told all your life that everyone else got called into the game, but you were left sitting on the bench. But the angel shows up and says, but I'm here to tell you, God has chosen you, Zechariah. God has chosen you, Elizabeth. He's been watching you, and he's been listening to you, and he's heard your prayer over all of these years, and he's seen your faithfulness. And you're gonna have a son, but you're not just gonna have any son. Oh, you're gonna have a remarkable son. Here's what they said. And you shall call his name John. Oh, the Lord favors you. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now, if I said earlier that the passage should have been giving you Abraham and Sarah vibes, This should be giving you Hannah vibes. Do you remember Hannah who came to the tabernacle and she was weeping and crying out for the Lord to give, and the Lord responded to her, right? But she said, but you have to set apart your child. Nazarite vow, right? This consecration, right? Set apart your child as a prophet. 
So we get these different women of the Old Testament who were barren. They cried out, the Lord healed their womb. But then he asked them to set apart their child, right? Think about Samson. Think about Samuel. That's what's happening with John. It says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. And this is a little bit of a question mark. This is a prophecy that the angel is giving to Zechariah. And he says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go, he, meaning the son, will go before him. Well, who's him? Maybe the Lord. So this, this, this would have been a question mark in a prophecy. Have you, have you ever received a prophecy that was a little bit mysterious? And you didn't quite know how it was going to be fulfilled? This would have been one of those. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Isn't this remarkable that this is how Luke starts the story before he gets to Jesus? There's an older couple who has lived their life in disgrace and shame, or at least people tried to put disgrace and shame on them, but they've been faithful to the Lord. And the very first thing that he does when he's about to send forth his son is heal them and bring them into their, their promise and to give them what they've been longing for. And he brings them into joy and gladness. Oh, I love it. All right, let's keep going. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. So Zechariah is asking for a sign, which there's an angel standing before him, right? Just like in general, if there's an angel standing before you telling you that something is gonna happen, it's in your best interest to, to believe that shining being, probably with a flaming sword, like just believe them. Like you don't have to like question them in that moment, right? Like, but Zechariah decided to do that. Um, and, and this comes from a posture of doubt. We're gonna see Mary here in a few minutes who's gonna ask in faith, but Zechariah asks in doubt, how shall I know this? Give me a sign. For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. As if he didn't know the story of Abraham and Sarah. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. There's only two angels that are named in the Bible, Michael and Gabriel. This is one of them. I am Gabriel. I don't think he knew who Gabriel was, but that was kind of like a bruh. Like, if you knew my resume, you would not be questioning me right now. I'm Gabriel, right? I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, right? This is your first time in here, buddy. Like, I've been, I've been doing this for a while, okay? I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. I'll give you a sign. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. I'll give you a little time to ponder what just happened here. A little time out. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Now listen to what's happening outside. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. He was taking a long time, you know. And uh, so everyone outside is wondering, like, what's going on in there? They might even be thinking, like, is he dead? <laughs> like, he, he dropped the ball. He dropped the ball. Like, he's, he's dead in there. We're going to have to go pull him out. 
you know? And so they're wondering, people were waiting for Zechariah. They were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them. He didn't know sign language. He hadn't grown up mute, right? And he kept making gestures to them, but remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. So this would have been spectacular in Jerusalem, right? All of the priests would have known about it. All of the leaders of the priests would have known about it. All of the authorities, the rulers in Jerusalem would have heard about this. Like this would have been breaking news, right? An absolute spectacle, which I love. The Lord is getting the attention of his people to make them ready for the arrival of his son. And he does it through this moment. Everyone in Jerusalem at this time would have had to feel like something is happening. Something is happening. Something is stirring up. What's God about to do? And after these days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived. So the miracle happened. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Wow. In her old age, the Lord did a miracle for her. I love it. What a beautiful gift for the Lord to give at the very first Christmas, the very first season leading up to when Jesus was born. Now let's see what happens next. In the sixth month, and this is referring to Elizabeth's six months of her pregnancy. So in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, okay? So this is a completely different story with a completely different feel to it, okay? In the first story, you have two priests. Priests are important, right? Priests have standing within society. Priests have honor and respect, right? When a priest walks into the room, everyone's like, all right, I see you, right? Like, it's like they have like their doctor, right? It's like, hi, Jim, Dr. Jim to you, right? It's like, that's a priest, right? They, they've got credentials. And so this first story is about an angel being sent to Jerusalem, to Judea, to the temple, to the capital, to elderly priests who have standing, like really important people. And then six months later, the Lord says, go. And that same angel, Gabriel, gets sent to Nazareth of Galilee, right? And if for anyone in this time, they would have said, Judea, important, Galilee, less important. Jerusalem, mega important, Galilee? Are you kidding me? Right later, it, you can go read it in John. It goes to one of his disciples, and he says, I found the, the, the king. He said, where is he from? He's from Nazareth. And he mocked, he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right, this, this village was so insignificant, they scoffed at it and said, God can do nothing in a place like that. So first God sends an angel to the elite, and now God is gonna send an angel straight into the heart of the lowly. And he wanted to reach both. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. You've probably heard of him before. Of the house of David. Hopefully you've heard of him as well. And the virgin's name was Mary. She's popular too, right? 
And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, just to give a little bit of context, many of you will know this, but some of you might. Uh, a woman at that time would typically be betrothed or legally engaged immediately after she had reached puberty. So again, that happens at different times. I don't know the science behind that. Don't ask me. I don't know. Go talk to someone else. Go talk to your mom. Right? Like, but good night. I'll be blushing in a minute. Right? Like, it's too scary. So, but after that time, right, they, they would get betrothed. They were of, of, of marriageable age, much younger than when we get married, right? Like, they would have been in their probably early to mid-teens is when a betrothal would happen. But they wouldn't get fully married, or they would not consummate the marriage sexually at that time. And there would be a season that would pass between the betrothal and the actual marriage, okay, where they would be engaged. And they would have longer engagements than we typically have. And this would be a time for the young woman to prepare herself for marriage. And it would be a time for the man to go and prepare himself. He would need to go earn some cash. He might need to build an addition to his house, right? He would, he would need to make sure that everything was ready for her to come and for them to, for them to be married and to start their life together. And there would be this season of betrothal. And so Joseph and Mary are engaged. They're in this extended season of betrothal. And an angel shows up to her, okay, and says, Greetings. Oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. You know, here's another thing about angels. If an angel shows up and says really nice things to you, it's because that angel's probably about to ask you to do something really hard. Right? It's like kids. If I come home and they're like, Dad, how are, I, I missed you so much. I'm like, you definitely want a cookie. You definitely, what do you want right now? Like, I, I know you love me and I love you, but the way you're saying it, I would have felt that with this angel. Greetings, oh favored one. The Lord is with you. Mary should have known, man. He was going to ask something hard. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She's kind of she's looking at him like, what's the intention behind what you're saying? Maybe she knew. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary for you have found favor with God. Do you see this theme? You are a favored one. You have found favor with God. That's what John's name means. It's what happened to Zechariah. It's what happened to Elizabeth. This is a major theme, that favor is coming to those who are the least likely to receive favor. It's the people who had been disqualified, but now they're being qualified. The people who had been outcast, but now they're being brought in. The people who didn't deserve it, but now they're being given it anyways. Oh, that's the gospel. He said, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, which means the Lord saves. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. So you're not just going to bear a son. You're going to bear the son, the son of the most high, God's son. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Amen? So she's telling her two things. Inside of your womb is going to be the son of God. And that son of God is going to be the king of kings. And Mary's like, I'm a 
I'm a teenager. I live in a village. I'm, I'm, not, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. Like, I'm the least of the least. Like, it would be difficult to find someone who would have seemed more insignificant than Mary. Right, if you were to line up all the women of Israel, like 13 to like, you know, 80, and be like, all right, who's the least important? Mary might have been on the list. She might have been at the very bottom of like the social sphere. The person that you would say like, there's no chance God would ever choose that person to do anything great with. This is Jesus outside of the box. And God says, you're the one that I choose. You're the one that I choose. Been watching you, Mary. Been watching your heart. Been watching the way that you live before me. I've seen you devoted to me in Nazareth of all places, completely in secret, with nobody paying any attention, but you love me, and so I've chosen you. Oh, I love it. Here's what she said. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? It's a very good question. Mary starts doing the math in her head. She's like, I know where babies come from. They just recently told me. And uh, the th here's the thing, angel. I, and it, well, here's what's interesting about her versus Zechariah. She believed the angel. She just, she wanted to understand the process a little bit. This is actually really good insight that Zechariah got in trouble for being in a posture of unbelief and not putting faith in the word. Mary asks for clarity on the process that she's going to need to walk out to obey the word that she believes. Do you guys see the difference in heart posture? One is in unbelief, one is in belief, right? And, and so the angel is like, she's just asking a very practical question. I believe you. It sounds miraculous. It sounds supernatural. There's just one problem. How? how? Because I haven't, you know, and how's that gonna, and the angel's like, no, I know, I know what you're asking. How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This is what the angel says to her. Well, just so you know, this is that, the way Luke constructed this is actually very specific because if you know a little bit about Greco-Roman culture, they had gods, Greco-Roman gods, and those gods would sometimes be attracted to human women. And in their stories, those gods would sometimes come down and have intercourse with human women, okay? And that was a common thing in Greco-Roman culture, but that was definitely not a thing in Jewish culture. And Luke is writing to both people from a Greco-Roman background and people from a Jewish background. And so what Luke wants them to know is that what's about to happen to Mary is not that. And he intentionally uses a verb that is so far removed from that concept that it could not be mistaken. This is not a God coming down and having a baby with a human and it being like a demigod, like Hercules. That's where we get the Hercules stories from, right? This is not a demigod that's about to be born. No, 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 no. He uses the same verb that was used in Genesis 1-2 when it said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing, just through his word and through his power. 
In the beginning, God created in the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit hovered, overshadowed the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And what the angel is saying is that in the same way that God supernaturally and miraculously, only through his power, brought forth the universe, God is going to do that again in bringing forth his son. And this is crazy. This is just one little sentence. It says, it says that you will conceive, right? Holy Spirit will come upon you. Power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. Matt, if you're here, you can come up. We read these lines, and a lot of times we can just move past them, thinking about the conception of Mary. Like, oh, that's cool. No, I want you to get out of the box for a second. I want you to get out of the box for a second, right? God stepped down into the womb of a teenage Jewish woman. Like, that has to blow our minds a little bit, that we believe that. That God chose a young woman, a teenage woman from nowhere. And he said, I am going to put my divine self in you. I'm going to do the ultimate miracle, which was taking God and making it flesh. That he was, here, here okay, okay, let's try this again. You're not there yet. John says that when Isaiah was taken up into the throne room and he was staring at the king of glory on the throne, John says that he was staring at Jesus before he took on flesh. Okay, so wait a second. So, so the second person of the Trinity has been seated on the throne at the right hand of the first person of the Trinity for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. But in this moment, that second person of the Trinity was going to take a step off of his throne and be led by the third person of the Trinity into the womb of a woman where he would be joined forever to humanity. Do you know that Jesus is never going back? Like he joined his divine self to humanity a billion years from now, he is still going to be a human. A billion years from now, he is still going to have a body. A billion years from now, he's still gonna have flesh. You're going to meet him not long from now. You're gonna see him in the body that grew inside of the womb of Mary. Friends, this was the only way this was the only way every human up until this moment had failed. Every human up until this moment had failed and God decided, you know what? We'll just go do it ourselves. Son, I need you to go down there and I need you to show them how it's done. And can you imagine the King of glory Surrounded by angels. It says the train of his robe fills the temple. He got up from his throne. And he was ushered by the Spirit. Philippians 2 said that being in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to. But he took it off, taking on the form of a servant, being found 
in appearance as a man and he humbled himself to the point of death, even death upon a cross. And for that reason, God has given him the name above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. This child to be born will be called holy, 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 the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Oh, the faith of Mary. There's a bug here. Flick it off. And the angel departed from her. You guys can stand with me. I want to read this final passage. This is where we're going to end today. We're in Luke 1, 39. Give me just a few more minutes. Engage your spirit with me. Just a few more minutes. I want you to see this moment. This is how we have to respond to Jesus' conception. Luke 139 says this. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, that miracle baby, that supernatural baby, that prophet in the womb, leapt. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Listen to this humility. This is an an elderly priestly woman with, with high standing before a teenage impoverished girl from Nazareth. And listen to what she says to her. And why is this granted to me? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. This is astounding, like, this is like a grandma getting down on her knees before her granddaughter. And it's not because of Mary, it's because of who's inside of Mary. You know what's so wild, I was thinking about this this morning and it just brought me to tears, I was thinking, John's ministry was to prepare people for the coming of Jesus and the very first person that he prepared was his own mother the very first person that the prophet John prophetically revealed the Messiah to was his own mom when he was inside of her womb that's when you know you're good that's when you know you're good All of a sudden, she's filled with the Holy Spirit. Her eyes are open. She doesn't just see Mary, she sees into Mary, to that baby. Who am I to be greeted by the mother of my Lord? Who am I to even stand in your presence? Do you still feel that way in the presence of Jesus? He wasn't even a grown man yet. 
He hadn't died on the cross yet. He hadn't been raised from the grave yet. He hadn't ascended to glory yet. But she knew who she was in the room with. The king was in the room. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Today, I, I didn't feel like there was any, uh, any specific call or application other than for us just to leap with joy that the king had come. I'm not calling you to apply something to your life. I'm not calling you to some new spiritual plan. I don't have an, I don't have an altar call. I, I don't, I'm not calling you to confess or repent. Or, I'm, just, I'm just asking you this Christmas that when you, when you see that baby, would you leap for joy? That's, the only, that's my only appeal to you today is when you see the baby, would you leap for joy? When you see the baby, would your heart explode within you? When you see that baby, would it not be trivial? When you see that baby, would it not be something trite, something traditional, something that we just do every year? When you see that baby, when you drive past that manger scene, would you not just say, oh, that's a great light display. Come on, church, when you see the baby, I want something to happen inside of you that happened inside of Elizabeth. Who am, who am I to stand in your presence? You're beautiful. You're glorious. I know who you are. You're not just a baby. I see you. I know who you are. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I know who you are. I know who you are. I know who you are. Even though he was in the form of God, he didn't consider it something to be held on to. He let it go and became a man. I see you. I know who you are. And Isaiah looked, and upon the throne was the king of glory. The train of his robe filled the temple. And the angels cried, holy, holy, holy. And the foundations of the temple shook, and it was filled with glory. I know who you are. I know who you are. You're not just a baby in a manger. You're not just Jesus in the box. I know who you are. You're the king of glory. Beautiful. Would you just close your eyes for a minute and adore him? Just for a minute. For a minute just for a minute look at that baby look at that baby in the womb look at that baby in the manger look at that baby boy and I want you to see him for who he really is I want you to see him for who he really is look into his infinite eyes see him for who he really is
worship Him. The same way that Elizabeth worshipped Him, the same way that John worshipped Him, acknowledging Him just for a moment. Matt can follow me, but I wanted to sing, Oh, come, let us adore him.